my passion project. Welcome to I Am My Passion Project, a companion of my digital magazine, Badass Silver Streak. I'm Lorna Nickel. I'm an artist, writer, graphic designer, thinker, a renaissance woman, if you will. This podcast is a way for me to give a voice to women over 50, like myself, a platform to discuss sexism, health and wellness, redefining beauty, and healing from betrayal trauma. Without further ado, let's dig in together and figure out ways to resist societal expectations while reimagining a world where mature women are made visible and empowered to become their own passion projects. Let's do this. Trigger warning, this episode contains graphic details of acting out behaviors that some betrayal trauma survivors might find triggering. In episode four, I shared my personal betrayal trauma story with my husband of 21 years. Today, I'm lucky enough to have a guest on this episode who has been a beam of light in our recovery process. Susan Rankin is a certified professional coach and holds an ACC credential with the International Coaching Federation. She specializes in betrayal trauma and is certified by the Association of Partners of Sex Addicts Trauma Specialists, otherwise known as APSATS. She has almost four years of experience working with betrayed partners and couples impacted by infidelity and sexual addiction. Susan is the founder of Restoring Hearts Coaching, LLC, and uses her own unique experience as a betrayed partner to empower others to heal and thrive from the aftermath of betrayal. Susan is so much more than a coach and a lovely person. She is also one of the fittest women that I know, having completed 10 full marathons and an ultra, one of my goals. And she uses all the strength, dedication, and determination harnessed by her fitness training to overcome life's obstacles and provide her clients with the grounded support they need to repair their relationships after betrayal. Hi, and welcome, Susan. Hi, Lorna. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. You know, some of our listeners might not be familiar with the world of sex and porn addiction. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about what that is and who is affected by it. You know, generally speaking, sex addiction is defined as a lack of control over sexual thoughts, fantasies, urges, and impulses that are done in excess that will significantly impact one's life that person continues to engage in those behaviors with adverse consequences in their life. And so jumping into what some of those activities would include would be sexual acts, prostitution, pornography, masturbation, sexual fantasy, exhibition or voyeurism. And who does it affect? It affects the person who struggles in all of their relationships. Every person that the person who struggles comes in contact with it. It really affects everything. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely have seen that in my relationship and thinking about my relationship with Noah, but also we have a 19 year old who, because Noah's addiction lasted for 21 years of our marriage and we had our son in that time. So he's, you know, been affected by it too. And we actually just had a talk today about how our son might have been affected 
I know that we've had the rippling out effect too of having him think about not just our son, but also other family members and people at work and friends of ours too. So I think that that's something that a lot of, you know, sex and porn addicts who are not in healthy recovery don't necessarily think about. Yeah, I think that's so true. What happens to the relationship and to the betrayed partner when there is a sexual betrayal? Well, sexual betrayal destroys the relationship and it devastates the partner who has been betrayed. It causes a great deal of trauma to the partner and it really alters the reality and the way that they see the world because the person that they trusted and relied on the most basically had this other life going on that this partner did not know about. And so it really shatters their reality in their world. It devastates them. And so what are some of the common behaviors of sex and porn addicts? And can you talk about the abuses that go on around sex and porn addiction and how they harm the addicts, their partners and others in their social network and beyond? And what we see with the addicts and how they show up because they've had this secret life, there's a lot of lying, a lot of manipulation, a lot of gaslighting with their partners. And so we see that as abuse and we know that that is abuse. So I'm thinking about integrity abuses. Is that what we're talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And basically an integrity abuse is lying, manipulation, gaslighting, when you are not being honest and open and authentic with your partner, that is seen as abuse because you're keeping certain things from that person in your life. Right. Yeah. And so we're in healthy recovery right now, or my husband is. And so one of the things that we do every night is we go through an integrity abuse list. And some of the things on there are lying, lying by omission. So that's when you're lying by not confessing that you are doing something. Other things that can happen are anger and shouting. So a lot of it seems like it's emotional abuse, but there can also be physical abuse too. But mostly I think that, I mean, in the workshops that I've been to and the groups for betrayed partners, a lot of it has to do with emotional abuse. And that's tough because it isn't seen by anyone else. And so that can be problematic in getting the abused partner the support that they need to, because a lot of people don't necessarily even believe that, you know, they're being abused. Right. And what we see a lot with partners when they're in recovery and when the addicts are in recovery, you know, they might have been able to have sobriety and not do the sexual acting out, but they still have a hard time with the integrity part. Right. And that is just something that we see a lot with people who struggle with this is they have an intimacy disorder. And so this is how they've operated most of their life. And so when somebody, you know, starts seeking help in this area, it's not just about the addiction. You know, there's a part of it where it's this integrity part too, and wanting to, you know, learn how to be open and honest and be authentic in any relationship. And so it's a new way of learning how to be relational. Yeah, I think the part about the intimacy and that it's a relational problem is overlooked by some people in the like psychiatry realm that aren't specialized in 
sex and porn addiction. I feel like oftentimes in the past that the partner has been left out of the mix of people who need to actually be getting help because it is a relational issue. It's not just the addict that needs to go get help. It's the broken coupleship. Yes. And often partners are overlooked in the process and they are the ones that are bleeding out the most. They've just had this whole reality, this whole life that they thought was authentic and real, just completely shattered. You know, the person who's acting out has that information. They don't have, you know, this altered sense of, I mean, I guess technically they do have an altered sense of reality since they're compartmentalizing and we're not going to get into that part today, but just they are the ones doing the behavior. So they have the knowledge, you know, the partner is the one who has been deceived and has no knowledge that this is happening. And so when it's found out, it is creating a lot of trauma to the partner. And, you know, we can get more into that in a little bit about what they experience. And Mm -hmm. it's just very, very, very traumatizing and devastating. So sex and porn use in a marriage or partnership, like when does it actually become a problem in the marriage? Because I know that some people that I'm actually friends with and met in the, in the realm of recovery, they actually used porn before they discovered that their partner was acting out. So when is it a problem? When does it become a problem? I say that it's a problem if the person who's watching it is not being open about it with their partner. And there are a lot of, you know, clinical information out there that gives evidence to pornography, how it changes your brain and how there really, really isn't healthy viewing of pornography because it can change the pathways in your brain. And so when we're talking about a relationship, I'd say that it would really become a problem if the person who was watching the pornography, if they weren't being open and honest with their partner, then that would be a problem because they have a secret that they're hiding. And what we know in this recovery world is if one person holds a secret, there's a disconnection in the relationship. Yeah. What I've heard is that it's really all about consent. You know, what, what are the boundaries that you've set in your relationship? What's okay and what's not okay with anything really, whether it's money or it's, you know, you're having open relationship, porn's used, porn's not used, like what's cheating, what isn't cheating, stuff like that. It's all about really figuring out what consent is, knowing what consent is, and having both people in the coupleship be on board with with the boundaries around consent. Exactly. So if and when somebody finds themselves in a relationship where they discover that their partner is acting out and is doing things outside of the boundaries, how would they know that the relationship is salvageable? And what signs should the betrayed partner be looking for in the recovering partner to see that they're actually doing the work that they need to be doing? And what does that work look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And there is a framework that we use in the recovery world, you know, to help both people heal individually and then as a couple. And it's also tailored to them and who they are and what works for them, what resonates with them. And what I like to tell 
my betrayed partners who are trying to figure out if, you know, their spouse is safe to continue on in the relationship. And, you know, they really need to look for the signs that the other person's willing to do what it takes to heal the relationship. And it's really using, you know, this gut instinct that has been damaged over the years mm-hmm. from the lying and the manipulation. And then once D-Day comes and that person finds out like, oh my gosh, this was going on. There's a lot of dots that get put together. And I don't know if you felt that way in your situation, but for me, when, you know, I found out about my husband's secret life, there was a lot of stuff that started to make sense to me, like mm-hmm. different things that would happen over the years. And I'm like, oh, Okay. So this wasn't harmless or this, you know, it just the, my lens and my focus just changed completely about my life and my relationship. And I'm not sure if I really answered the question fully, but to say that in order to make things work is that old relationship pretty much dies. And then it's really finding, okay, what do we need to do as a couple to rebuild that? And first and foremost, the person who's done the betraying needs to be willing to do what it takes to, to have sobriety, to be in good recovery, to start to build trust again with their partner. And how do you even begin to do that in this process? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that one of the valuable things that you offer as a coach is that you've actually, you have lived through discovery when you found out your husband was cheating on you and you are continuing to do the work with your husband. I was just wondering if you could talk about your story with your discovery and what recovery has looked like for you. Yeah, of course. Six years ago this time, my husband had gone on a yoga retreat and he came home and he started talking about this experience and It was that point I just really started noticing the shift in him and his behavior. And it just seemed like over the next few weeks, the next month or two, he just really started disconnecting from me. And there were things that were off, like he was even saying things that were off. And so I was questioning him like, hey, what's happening with you? you know, we were married for almost 22 years at this point. And so Mm -hmm. I knew or thought I knew him very well. And, you know, there was just this defensiveness, this standoffish, he started saying things to me, like, he didn't feel like he had a heart connection with me anymore. And I felt like, what are you talking about? We, we are best friends. I haven't felt disconnected from you. I really felt like I was blindsided. Mm-hmm. So I kept really trying to get him to talk to me. And it was a, a couple of months of just really having these intense interactions where I really felt deep down that something was wrong. And I wanted him to talk to me about it because I was very concerned for him. I had no idea what I was about to find out and how I was able to gain information. I reached out to a former pastor of ours since he was a father figure to Scott. And I called him up and I said, pastor, I really need your help. This is what's happening with Scott. And if anyone can talk to him and get him to talk to me, you know, I feel like it would be you to try to help us. And I remember he said something like, Susan, I think you need to brace yourself because something seriously is wrong with Scott. 
I agreed with that, but I didn't realize how, how catastrophic it was. And about two weeks after that conversation, we sat down with our pastor at his house with his wife and Scott reluctantly said that he had a relationship with someone 10 years prior. There were some other things that he said that I knew there was more information. Our pastor didn't know exactly what he was dealing with and told us to go home and that this was an opportunity for Scott to come clean and tell me everything that, you know, he's done. And we didn't know what we were doing. And we went home and he proceeded to tell me about all these different affairs over the last several years. Wow. And I was just in a state of shock. It was a very surreal moment for me. And I think that I somehow managed to try to function the next few days. And, and something just didn't seem right to me. And he was saying things like, I need to really find out what I want in life. And so finally, one night I asked him about this yoga trip. And that's when the information came out that he was currently having an affair with someone from that yoga trip. And for me at that point, I was like, there is something wrong with you and you really need to get help. And so in that moment, I was like, we're done. Mm -hmm. We're no longer, you know, sleeping in the same bed together. I'll sleep in our son's room. You need to figure yourself out. And I remember that conversation very vividly because he, he looked at me and he said, you're still going to go on this marriage retreat with me next weekend, right? Which sounds so ludicrous because I'm like, and so this really shows you how he was really sick, like mentally, just not in a great place. And I said, if you are, I said, usually, you know, you go to a marriage retreat to work on your marriage. And you just told me that you think you have feelings for this person you're having an affair with. So I don't think I'm going to be myself during this marriage weekend. If you're looking at this as a last chance to see if you really want to be with me, I'm not going to be myself. And I remember he left that morning to go to yoga, to be with her. And I called my girlfriend and I was like, my marriage is over. And I had to get the heck out of there. And so I left for the weekend. And, you know, a few hours later, he was texting me that he realizes like what he was doing was not what he wanted. And deep down, I felt like he would come to his senses at some point, Uh huh. but I didn't think it was going to happen in a few hours. Right. No. And, and, knew, <laughs> and knew that, you know, it wasn't going to solve everything. And so I came home, he begged me to, okay, let's, let's not separate, let's stay together. And this is the plan I'm going to do. And I had agreed like, okay, but we need to talk to a therapist to see like how we need to move forward. And I really felt this sense that I needed to separate from him in order to understand what was happening to me because I was still in shock. And so two weeks after this, you know, initial conversation I was asking for a, a temporary separation. Like I need my space. I want you to go. And before you go, I want you to give me information. I want you to write down, you know, who knows what 
anyone that you've ever been with because I want to know the information. And he left me that document and left our house. And when I read that document, there was more information on there and I was done. When I read that document that shattered my entire world, I literally picture like the ground beneath me crumbling. That is how I felt like just my whole life was a lie to me. And I didn't see how I could move forward with that person. Yeah, which absolutely makes sense. I know what that feels like to think that you have a good marriage and things are going well. And then that one little bit of information tips off like a whole sea of garbage that is thrown on top of you and just to the scrambling to figure out what what reality is and what your husband thought reality was for him. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about the compartmentalizing. That was such a strange concept for me too. And thinking about once that hits, once it hits, smacks you in the face, you go down this tunnel of what is going on and gathering, doing all the research to figure out like what just happened and what help is there out there for me and what what do all of these different abuses mean and and are they abuses and because also you you've been so stuck in this world of gaslighting and lying to it's really hard to figure out what reality is like on a daily basis i just remember in the early days just every day was a different nightmare day for me just a roller coaster of emotions like wake up cry and then do something else during the day and then be triggered by something or like have a conversation with Noah and then have it blow out of control and just him also you know having compartmentalized this for such a long time and me not understanding that his world of like the porn and sex addiction was separate from what he thought about me i was like how is that even possible i still like i still struggle with that how did you keep this world of yours a secret for such a long time how did i not see get like any glimpse of weirdness how did I not see this at all and how how were you able to like come home and be with me and tell me that you love me and tell our son that you love him and think that our marriage is good have Christmases and Thanksgivings where you know we set up the tree and pretend like we're this happy family when you pull back the screen and there's just a freaking nightmare there of sex and porn and all of these other women and stuff that I, I struggled with that. And that was the hardship of being the betrayed partner. And, and also, you know, when you're doing the work and trying to come out of that, when your husband finally sees what he was doing, because that's, you know, they're lying to themselves for that amount of time. They're lying to themselves. They don't want to see it. They're living in, in their own trauma, usually from childhood. And they are, so full of shame that they can't even look outside of themselves to see other people that they're hurting. And once they see that they're hurting other people, once that little tiny piece of empathy gets like lit, like struck by a match and they go, oh, oh my God, oh my God, 
I have seriously hurt my partner. I don't, I can't believe that I've done this. I can't believe that I, you know, did it to her, to our relationship. My marriage could be totally destroyed by this. My job could be totally destroyed by this. You know, our children, our families, you know, and the rippling out effects. That's, I mean, that's where the change happens. Hopefully, that's hopefully where the change happens. Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's when, the person who who is the addict or the betraying person when they come out of their own denial because what we know is what you said is they compartmentalize and they have all of this this going on where they're really lead to double lives mm-hmm. and for me as, as you spoke to as being that betrayed partner like how could that person do that to me if they really loved me how could they do all of these things and it's not that he did them to me he was doing those things and it affects me. Mm-hmm. It's like, they don't understand like how it's going to affect. Cause how would they know, you know, they're stuck in their own addiction, their, their brain, right. It's a brain issue. And so they're so focused on their addiction that they don't understand like what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. They're so self-absorbed before we get carried away though, pulling more layers back of the betrayal onion. I really want us to get back to your personal story. So the rest of the story is, you know, after about four months of doing my own healing and being separated from my husband, I really kind of slowed down and saw, you know, that he was putting in the work. He had sought out a certified sexual addiction therapist and he was in a group and really doing the work that he needed to really change and I think for him he needed to come to the end of himself in order to really snap out of his denial and lose everything in a sense and so he was completely devastated and that's kind of that you know scale that pushed him towards healing in his own recovery And so he just did his own thing and I did mine and just came together at some point to have a conversation about our, our marriage and our kids. Cause I could see he was showing up in a way where he was just very emotional and I wanted to have a conversation to say, look, you know, you need to just hold yourself together around the kids because it's really hard for Mm -hmm. them. And I'm holding myself together. So you need to hold yourself together, <laughs> which I can't tell somebody how to, how to do, but I just right. wanted to have this conversation. And it turned into this four hour conversation about what he did. And I just, I told him, I said, I don't think I can get past, you know, what's happened. I'm glad that you're doing the things for you and that you're becoming a different person, but I don't think I could ever get past this. And it was one One moment in the conversation that he said, if a divorce is what you need to heal, then I'll do all the work. And he meant it. Yeah. And that's when, for me, when he said that, there was just this, this immediate feeling that came over me that, okay, this isn't what you want. And I was having a hard time with that feeling and that thought, because I'm like, I was terrified. And I even said that to him. I said, I'm terrified to even say that I'll work on it. And and that's all I could say is Mm -hmm. I'm terrified. I'll I'll work on it. I can't guarantee that 
you know, we're going to make it, but I will try. And I remember going home that night and I went to bed and I woke up and I was under so much anxiety and I was freaking out going, okay, what is this anxiety? Is this, you know, God telling me I shouldn't do this? I was just trying to regulate myself in that moment. And I opened up a book that I was reading and it really, and it was right where I left off. There was, there was a verse in there and that verse really spoke to me because it used the word terrified in it. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I, it was like that confirmation that I needed from God to say like, okay, you're doing the right thing. And I was able to have peace in that moment and go, okay, this is a sign that I am on the right path and I had to do the work. The first thing that we did coming back together was, you know, see his therapist and come up with boundaries. That was the number one foundational piece that I wanted to put in place moving forward. Mm -hmm. And in what I've learned, you know, in reading the recovery books is boundaries are to protect you and to protect your relationship. And this is what I need in order to feel safe in a relationship with you moving forward. And so that was the start boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so I would suggest that everyone, if they are experiencing this and they want to work on their relationship, like that's one of the key things that needs to be worked on in order to heal is really to set clear boundaries of this, this is a non-negotiable for me. And, you know, this is something that I prefer isn't done. And if it is, this is the consequence. Right. Yeah. You know, and the consequences is what I need to feel safe. Yeah, that was definitely something that I had to do too, the boundary work with the consequences. Yes. They're nothing without consequences. That's true. And then from there, you know, it was okay. We're going to go all in and do what it takes to heal this. And one of the first things we did was we went to a marriage weekend that dealt with infidelity. And so we went for the whole weekend and just did work where we did these exercises. We were in groups with other couples going through similar situations. And so that was a real pivotal point for us and continued to meet weekly and do work with that organization for a whole year. And so we had that, that we were doing together along with our individual therapists. And then I was doing the betrayal and beyond group. And so I just kind of jumped right in to the recovery process and, you know, it just, it really worked for us. I really feel like the separation is what we both needed in order to really, I guess, gain our bearings and for me to get the help that mm -hmm. I needed and for my husband to get the help that he needed. And, you know, we are six years into this in healthy recovery. And part of my passion in doing this work is if I could get through this, if we could get through this, then I can help other people do the same. Because I didn't think that that it was going to be possible for me. There's no way there was just too much damage and I was shown otherwise. Is that the main reason why you started doing this work? Because you wanted to help others in similar situations? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, wanting to give people information and guidance because I didn't have any guidance. And I, we did so many things wrong. I did things wrong. And, 
And I could have saved myself a lot of trauma if I would have been informed on how to properly do things like digging for information or wanting information, you know, getting the counsel, like, wait a minute, let's do this the proper way in one setting. And I didn't, I didn't know. One of the components to recovery, they say, is at the end that you start to help others. So now you're doing that. Yes. And we call that post-traumatic growth. (laughs) Yay. So yeah, I think that we're both in that spot right now. You're just farther along than me. Because for me, it's been almost a year. Almost a year. Yeah. But you, it's been six. So. Mm -hmm. And a lot has gone on for you in that year. And I just want to say that I'm extremely encouraged and proud of you. (laughs) for doing the hard work and just seeing how you are thriving and, you know, using what you've gone through and as a purpose, right? You have a purpose now to, to help and give back as well. And it's great to kind of come full circle and like go through my own experience and then see how I've helped other people and how they've been able to come out of it and thrive like you are. It's just amazing. Yeah. And the goal is always to come out of survival mode to thrive, to thriving mode. So let's hope that everyone else can achieve that. <laughs> yes, and, and offer some hope. And I, I know that we're talking about a subject that not everyone wants to talk about. And, you know, I I didn't sign up for this. Right. I would never want to be like, oh, hey, I'm part of this club. And... <laughs> you know, here I am. Like, I can't change what's happened to me. I can only change how I respond and deal with it. And now I'm in a place where I'm not ashamed of what's happened to me, that I actually own, you know, what's happened to me. And I've empowered myself Mm -hmm. to, you know, go on with my life and to create a new life for myself after betrayal. Right. Before we go, can you share with us some resources for betrayed partners and or couples looking to repair their relationship? And also let us know if there's anything that you'd like to plug and where people can find you if they want to learn more about this topic or find out about your services. Yes. Well, they can go to my website, which is restoringheartscoachingllc.com or email me at susan at restoringheartscoaching.com. And I would be happy to answer any questions. I see individual partners and I also coach couples as well. And, you know, from this, you know, early recovery couples empathy perspective, because we know that in order for there to be relational healing, we really need to work on certain empathy skills and exercises so that the person who's done the betraying can help the partner heal. What other resources out there? Man, there's a ton of resources (laughs) out there. (laughs) And if you can't think of all of them now, I will, as Susan gets them to me, I can put them in the show notes. So why don't I just say that? We'll put them in the show notes. And it's not going to be everything because there are so many different resources out there that are really helpful these days. But I just want to thank you so much for being on this episode. And I hope that it helps a lot of other betrayed partners out there to try to wrap their head around what the, the process can look like for a healthy recovery and bring them into healing and light. 
Yes, I wish that for everyone that experiences this. <laughs> Thanks so much, Susan. You're welcome. If you are a woman who has recently been betrayed and are struggling with the roller coaster of emotions that accompanies discovery, you might want to check out the journal I created titled I Am Reclaiming Me, a betrayed partner's daily practice journal. I designed this full-color paperback journal to be a structured workbook for betrayed women to keep track of their recovery progress, assess their safety, and decide whether they want to stay in or leave their relationship. The book will launch this summer, but I'm accepting pre-orders for the book right now. The first 25 people to pre-order a book will get a signed edition. So please head to my website at badass-silverstreak.com backslash store to order your book now. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Am My Passion Project. New episodes drop every Friday. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing with a friend or two or more, or leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, I hope you're able to move through your week, speaking your own truth and embracing your badass self. I am my passion project.